Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Bonus episode number 16 starts right now. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, spoiler-filled review, discussion, Easter egg connection. What happened in the past? What happened in the present? What's coming in the future? What's going on in the multiverse? Who knows? Do you care? I don't know. Let's discuss. I'm Brandon Davis, joined today by Jamie Jurak. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. We got Jenna Anderson. Hey, everybody. I have been so ready for this episode. I'm so ready to hear Jamie's reaction first and foremost, but I'm just so excited for this episode. Yes. And we have Aaron Perrine. I promised y'all the most contentious episode of Phase Zero ever, and it is going to deliver based on our pre-show meeting. I feel like this is about to get hot. Yeah. There, is, there are opinions, and they are not aligned. Uh, we get this is the, we're, you know how these shows go. We start with our reviews and reactions. This is full spoilers. So if you have not yet seen Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania and you don't want to hear anything about it, this is not the show for you. Hit pause. Make sure you're subscribed and come back on Wednesday. But this is full spoilers. And I will say this: we have more spoilers coming from the director himself, Peyton Reed. I'm just not allowed to reference them, talk about them, or share the video from this interview until next Friday. So those will be dropping on the Phase Zero channel. So be ready for that. We got some. Interesting stuff, some interesting insights about the ending of this movie from Peyton Reed. I can't wait for you guys to watch that. But for now, it's about us. This is our show. Peyton, let us talk. Now, I'm excited for this. Aaron, we've talked a little bit about this on the show, but you're at the top of the screen. So uh, start us off. What do you think of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania? I mean, okay. So like I said in the episode while with with Luffy that you should all go see, um, I, I really didn't feel like it was like as bad. I feel a little bit crazy. I think Jenna would agree with like, I'm like, it, it really? I mean, like there's not even a knife moment for poor Jamie to get upset about. What are we so, so upset about? But also I don't have the emotional attachment to the first two Ant-Man films. I feel like a lot of MCU fans do. And because of that, I'm like, that's a probably about what I expected. And Jonathan Majors is amazing. So I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, I think that like some of the other movies that come out, we're going to be talking about the post credit scenes probably more than what happened in the movie. And maybe that's a problem for you. But I, I didn't think it was like the nadir of this whole thing at all. So you've so you'd say good. I'd say fine. Like I, I <laughs> probably would have it somewhere in the middle if we were doing all yeah. of them somewhere yeah. in the middle, like lower middle somewhere in there, you know? Yeah. I'm 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 pretty I think I'm with you. Jamie, you haven't had a chance to speak on this yet. You are you're you're coming back from the birthday extravaganza. Yeah. How, what'd you um, think of Ant Man? All right, well, uh, I have a lot to say, and I'm gonna say it all because I you've given me a platform. Uh and I just want to start to kind of give you a gauge. When I saw Eternals and Love and Thunder, I gave those both a four on the first watch and then bumped them down to a three and a half on my second watch. Quantumania, I gave a three and a half, but I'm telling you, I'm almost positive when I go back to see it, it's gonna be a three. I wanna like it, I wanna, I wanna try. Um, but this is a nothing movie where nothing memorable happens. Uh it is it is probably um a bottom five MC. CU movie for me. It did absolutely nothing. I think it was deeply forgettable. I don't remember what happened. That's how much um, uh, it did not really, it did not work for me. Uh, I, I, there are certain things that I just don't understand. I don't understand that everyone's like, it's the wackiest, weirdest Marvel movie. To me, it is the Marvel equivalent of that meme of the girl in the convenience store with a bag of chips on their head that's like, oh, she's, she's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's what this movie is to me. Like, it's trying so hard to be Ragnarok, 
but it's just a watered down flat nothing version of that. I also don't agree with these Star Wars comparisons and maybe that's because like Star Wars is my favorite thing in the world and so because I didn't really like this movie I'm like how dare you. Um I get the Kang to Vader thing that's um that's fine but Star Wars is rich and lived in and needy and this was just so flat to me. There's I don't know have like one practical puppet maybe and we can talk. Um I don't know I think that comparison Star Wars makes more sense for the Guardians movies but you know if that's what people think that's what they think. Also, here's my other thing that I was surprised about based on what people were saying. The whole, this is finally the time we're setting up the future. Phase five, here we go. And I feel like it didn't really do much more work than Loki did in that regard. Like, yeah, it expanded on that. But I was, my favorite part of this movie was the Loki end credit scene. Um, you know, uh, I I really wanted to like this. I thought for sure. I went into this movie certain that this would be my favorite Ant-Man movie. And I like both of the other Ant-Mans more uh, without question. Um, uh, I, I do have some positive things to say. Jonathan Majors was amazing. Uh, obviously, he was fantastic. I have spent the last like couple years really heartbroken for Emma Furman. I've been so sad for her, but I can't deny Catherine Newton, I thought, was great Cassie Lang. I cannot wait to see more of her. I hope we get a, a Young Avengers lineup. Um, and But here's the most important thing. All I wanted out of this movie was a Michelle Pfeiffer showcase, and it did deliver, and it did give me that. She was amazing. She was so bad ass and god she's beautiful i just can't believe she still looks this good it's like amazing um so i was satisfied in that in that sense i laughed a little there were some fun moments um it's not like a terrible movie it's like i still walked out being like three and a half you know but but in terms of comparison like i i just i have not felt this negatively about an mcu movie since like phase one uh so uh it, that was all very surprising so that is my negative reign of terror <laughs> if not for the compliments at the end there i was like hold on you are describing like a 1.5 out of 5 here <laughs> jenna with spoilers what did you think of this one just following jamie i'm just like oh my gosh because i'm over here on the website giving it a four in my review because it was also i gave love and thunder a three and a half and i could not in good conscience rate this on the same level to me love and thunder actively disappointed me at so many levels it felt like i could tell the potential that it had and it was not meeting that this movie to me meets the potential, just not in a way that a lot of people are expecting. I echo everything that Jamie said about Star Wars. To me, this is more in line with like David Lynch and Jodorowsky's Dune and like every 50s and 60s sci-fi movie that ever existed. Like that is more the vibe here. I get that people are comparing it to Star Wars, but it feels like the boss baby meme of like only having watched one sci-fi movie. Um, <laughs> but like what worked about this movie works for me. It is imperfect. It takes a little too long to get going. It does have some flaws. It does have some things where if I I was in charge I wouldn't do certain things that way but I can't fault it for what it did because what it did still was consistently entertaining and again Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer and Catherine Newton make this entire movie for me all three of them I absolutely adored so I find this very interesting that we have reactions across the board and I'm somewhere in the middle I think I'm lower than Jenna uh, possibly close to Aaron certainly above Jamie I don't know I feel like I'm at a three out of five though maybe my like everybody's I'm sure five scale is just different but the Star Wars scenes Jamie referenced the only time I got real Star Wars vibes was that bar scene when there was a bunch of creatures sitting around a bar that felt kind of Star Warsy to me other than that I felt like it was much darker and less feeling like less livable of an environment less lived in of an environment and I think that's because it was just so much CGI so much of the volume uh, and it was so focused on those crazy quantum realm backdrops that it felt like nothing could ever actually live here and be interesting. Uh, so that only Star Wars part for me was the bar part. Um, and in regards to Thor Love and Thunder, I think this was better than Thor Love and Thunder. I know I walked out of Thor Love and Thunder and I was like, that was so entertaining. Watched it again and I was like, yikes, actually, there's so much unmet potential. Gore was a letdown. This one, I feel like the unmet potential mostly for me is in any emotion at all. I think you could have killed just about any character save for Cassie. And I didn't really care about Cassie as a whole. Like I like her. I think she's cool. I think Catherine Newton did a good job, but the only reason I really cared about Cassie from an emotional perspective was because Scott cared about her so much. But if Scott hope Hank or Janet all died, I probably would have just been more sad to lose the cast member than the character at this point. Uh, this didn't really have me feeling emotional, except for the one part where hope and Scott were like, I love you. I love you. And I was like, okay, well, that was nice. But that was the first time I really felt much in this movie. 
like everybody else, I think Jonathan Majors was great. Uh, I think the post-credit scenes were super exciting. I think they were also kind of a like the Loki one was very exciting. I thought the Council of the Kangs in live action was crazy looking, and the performances as Rama Tut and Amortis and Scarlet Centurion were bizarre. So I'm I'm real curious what direction the MCU is going to go because I do think this movie was weird in that it's like it's like Rick and Morty, but taking a lot of what works on Rick and Morty and getting rid of it and just doing it in a Marvel way, like it was kind of toned down humor which didn't really land for me oftentimes and i'm not a huge rick and morty fan in the first place like i, I recognize why people like that show i'm a more grounded content type of person uh so the weirdness of that doesn't really hit me the way it, it succeeded in my opinion the way it does for other people and that's just a difference of taste but overall i think the movie was just so fine like i didn't hate it for sure i don't feel the need to really watch it again and I didn't like, I, 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 you know, it's just, it was just, I was like, okay, I wanted to like it so much more than I did. And the fact that Kang died at the end, I was kind of like, what? I don't like, I don't hold on a wrong. second. I thought this was like about to be the Kang. We hyped this guy up through the whole movie. This guy killed Thor. What? He's got killed by a whole bunch of like, apparently now thousands of year old ants. Insanity. <laughs> insanity <laughs> but for some people that zaniness that weirdness those kind of big swings and crazy embracing that stuff yeah i know jamie i know <laughs> jamie, the i like weird i want weird oh i didn't even talk about modok we have we'll get to modok we'll have a whole modok section uh, yeah. but I, I mean the concept of these ants suddenly living thousands of years and showing up with their own iron ant suits and being ready to take down kang i was like this is all right. I, this, this sort of MacGuffin didn't work for me. I, I know, Jenna. I know. No, because like uh, the only argument I will make is like Hank Pym debuted in a monster book for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. It was just yeah. a book of anthology stories of monsters and deep sea travels and space travels and all of the weird stuff you could get into in the 60s. And then it was like, oh, scientist Hank Pym can turn into an like can make himself the size of an ant. And then they made him into a superhero from there. And he was really one of the first of his kind. I, I think this movie leaned into it a lot more than like the heist movies of the past two. And I think it's just your personal mileage is going to vary. I, I appreciate big swings more than anything. I would rather you do something different and interesting that isn't necessarily going to land completely across the board than like making something that is so middle of the road that everybody can walk away happy. I like that they went weird with it. I don't know. I feel like in the Infinity Saga, we were all so pleased so much more commonly. It's really just strange that Marvel has suddenly become so divisive. I don't really understand why that's happening. Like, I don't... I'm real curious what the fan reaction to this movie is going to be. I can't imagine people are going to hate it as much as they all love to hate on Thor Love and Thunder. But they might. I have no idea. Everybody hates She-Hulk. Everybody hates Thor. Everybody hates this. Everybody hates that. Some people love this. Everybody loves Spider-Man. Everybody loves Shang-Chi for the most part. So, I don't know. It's 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 a weird time right now for the Marvel Universe, but it seems like things are about to be shifting and the 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 stories and may, maybe not the stories, but the releases and all that kind of stuff is yeah. about to be changing. We'll talk about that on Wednesday's show because all that news has been very very interesting. Uh, but all right, I want to start this conversation at the end of the movie. I want to break this movie down in reverse. Basically, time is a circle. Time is not real. It's a cage, and once you break free, you realize you can break the movie down backwards. Let's talk about the post-credit scenes for Man-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Council of the Kangs. I love the first one so much. Me too. Aaron, go I'm, ahead. I never thought I'd see that on screen, ever. Yeah. I audibly gasped in our in our screening and people looked over like Richard Nevin from the direct was like, Hold, he's like, what's happening? Aaron, you reacted so quickly because I knew as soon as you see a Coliseum and yeah. see John Demeter step out with his giant hat, that we're doing it. We're doing the craziness that I believe was coming for the last year and a half. And every time someone said, they're not going to do count, like, come on, they're not gonna, It's too insane to have Jonathan Majors being John Malkovich himself. But that's exactly what we're getting. It's exactly what we're getting. I'm completely about it with weirder I, performances. Go ahead, Jen. I, I am in the same boat as Aaron, even though, so I had seen a leak like weeks ago that spoiled both of these scenes, like basically <laughs> wrote out the text of what both of these were. And I was like, oh, we'll just wait and see because that sounds almost too good to be true. And then we get there and it is exactly what it is. And I still was the same reaction as Aaron. I was like, oh my God, we're doing it. It looks so stupid. 
outfit. They look so comic accurate. The voices he's doing, all of the different ways that they've rendered all of these different versions of him. Like he said, I never would have expected we would be at this point. And so I have no idea where any of them go from this point on at all. But the fact that we have that and we're fully leaning into it, I am so happy about it. Yeah, so this was kind of a reference to the trio of Kangs and the Council of Kangs. Obviously, we had Immortus, which I gasped. And then when Rama Tut stepped forward, I was at the premiere and people around me were like, what, what? Because I sat, I literally did the, like, I know we joke about this all the time, but I did the Leo meme and I pointed at this, I sat forward, I pointed the screen, but I didn't go, I literally was like, yo, like audibly in the theater. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in public right now. Uh, so I thought that was really exciting. I thought the acting was kind of like, I think he did a good job acting in it, but I did think the character, the way these characters are being characterized, seeing them in a full movie acting that way is going to be just so different that I'm like, okay, I gotta, I still have to be sold on that in the future. But the fact that we had Scarlet Centurion and Mortis and Rama Tut, who, if you remember Rama Tut, I know you guys remember, but just for everybody listening, uh, Rama Tut was referenced in Moon Knight. It was on the back of the jacket, big Moon Knight connections for Rama Tut. Uh, and at some point, um, the Sphinx is actually like one of the time travel vehicles in comics. So it's cool to see all that stuff coming. And this this was straight up Avengers 292. This is a comic book scene recreated in the credits scene, which uh, I'm pretty sure the value of that book is about to shoot up. I think we have an image of it uh, that we can pull up on the show. If you're watching us on video, uh, the Avengers 292 image, because this was straight up like comic book brought to life. And if you watch the scene, maybe you guys caught this the first time I watched it again for the second time. Uh, a lot of people seem to have caught this already. The, a lot of these variants that show up in this Coliseum are using the exact same or very similar technology to what Reed Richard used in Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness <laughs> to like teleport himself to that location with the uh, Illuminati. Those same squares were opening up and all the Kangs were appearing, not all the Kangs, but a lot of the Kangs were appearing which brings up the Nathaniel Richards stuff. I mean, I'm just excited. Jenny, you want to I know Jenna I know Jenna's got the not the knowledge bomb I, to drop here. Just the fact like again, the fact that we're at this point, I also just love now seeing the comic panel like on screen. It's like even the exact shot was composed the same way. There's the scroll version of him is in the same exact spot in mm -hmm. in the actual movie. I love stuff like that. Um just all of these different versions are so interesting cuz it's like Scarlet Centurion in particular is like the more brash, weird version of him that Immortus even kind of hates at a certain point. He's very bitter towards him in the comics. And then, yeah, all of the Nathaniel Richards of it all, tying it into the FF. I know there's FF speculation running wild right now. I, at this point, I will be shocked if Kang is not involved in the Fantastic Four movie in some way, because I feel like we are leaning so far into just having him show up wherever possible. And I think getting that family connection of him being tied to Reed, I feel like that feels like a no brainer. We have to get to that at some point. I mean, also I would caution all of our listeners. Like if a project has a villain, but it doesn't seem like that villain makes sense or like <laughs> that, like they could possibly be like the main villain for a thing. Go ahead and expect Jonathan Mitch to go ahead and walk through that door and have some weird accent, a cool hat, or just be some weird theme thing in the background, which is just delightful for me because I, yeah. I want to still be surprised. Yeah. Like, I still want to be surprised. Like, I'm sitting there like, there's a whole lot of them. Like, when you said the scroll thing, how insane would it be if he was in Secret Evasion somehow as the bad guy in Secret Evasion? Like, it would be, none of us would have ever seen that coming, ever. I never would have guessed it years ago. It's insane. <laughs> let me let me pose a question to you guys. Jenna, you might be able to answer this. Aaron, it sounds mm -hmm. like you might as well. Uh, why were these Kangs so riled up about the Kang they exiled being killed? He, I mean, he explains it in the movie. He was trying to stop them from screwing with the multiverse, screwing with the Avengers, doing whatever. Like, yeah, he killed Avengers in the process, but ultimately his goal was to like restore an order that they were not keeping. And so it almost seems like he and he who remains were kind of almost in the same sort of path, just in wildly different ways. But it's like he he seemed to want order and like had very dramatic, drastic means to get there. And they're not like, no, just let us have our fun. And so then that's why they exiled him. So I, I know we were going to talk about it. Like if this Kang is actually dead, if this is the one that's going to get a Kang Dynasty in secret, I almost don't want it to be. I want it to be a newer version of him that is 
just as ruthless, almost even more so, because I feel like that is in line with kind of the comic accuracy and it would just make it more interesting because he has the possibility to be so maniacal and so just like ever like reaching in the comics. So I feel like we could get there. But doesn't this Kang then like, there has to be another Kang that all the other Kangs don't like or the other Kangs are worried about, like in addition to this one now? Well, we, never, follow that comic stuff? we didn't meet Kang Prime yet, did we? Yeah, so, I, 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 see, I see that one as Kang Prime. Like, whichever one we're eventually going to get to is like the, he, he's like the man behind the curtain of the man behind the curtain. Like, they're all of the people at the Council of Kangs are like underneath him almost. So what do we think? This Kang is actually dead? I would say so. I thought he got pulled in there like Freakazoid. He's going to come back and be a nuisance <laughs> for them later. I thought that's where we were going, but I mean, not. he might come back I, as I a big old dead. floating head. Oh, uh, like, <laughs> what is like, he- I don't know if, if like, wh- why not be dead? Cause there's like a million other ones. Exactly. Like, I feel like if he comes back, he's really alive. It's like, oh, okay. Like it's, it, it's when it's the same actor, it's not really that exciting when they no. bring him back. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think this one's probably dead. I just thought it looked weird when he like all this, he looked like he was like kind of almost tied to it through that kind of energy that was coming out of the multiversal engine. Uh, but then all of a sudden, like half his body was in it on the next cut. And I was like, this is such a weird effect. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think he's gone. And then let's talk about that second post credit scene. Victor Timely. That's like a twice over comic book reference because Marvel Comics was timely. Uh, and, and also then they named him Victor Timely to reference the old name of t- like Timely Comics before it was Marvel. Uh, so yeah, so Victor Timely. We will have more info on this scene. Uh, that, this is one of the things we talked about. With pa- well, never mind. I can't. Uh, we'll just be... <laughs> So if you look closely in the audience, shout out to Peter for for naming the actor who I was trying to figure out. I was like, wait, I know this guy. I know this guy. Peter recognized him. I think, I think it could be way off. Could be, I just, I just got to say it just in case it's true. That Giovanni Ribisi was one of the actors in the audience and he's somebody in that audience who had a close-up shot, a mustache and a top hat. As Peter suggested, it might just be somebody who looks like his character from Million Ways to Die in the West. Totally possible. But uh, maybe this guy's cast in Loki season two and this is how we find out. I love this idea because I really like Giovanni Ricci, but I I feel like I didn't notice him, and I feel like mm-hmm. I would have noticed, you know. Yeah. Also, I like like he's not a he's a great well known actor, but he's not big enough to be like let's reveal him in a post credit <laughs> scene like in this way that we're still not sure. So I would be surprised if it was him, but if it is him, I'm into it. Maybe imagine if we just escalated of like after Harry Styles and Charlize Theron and all of these like post credit scenes introducing and then it's like here's Giovanni Ribisi as just some guy. <laughs> it was like that would just be the weirdest thing ever. Oh yeah, he all right, bring him Wallace Shawn in the Marvels. Let's get it. <laughs> you know, right now. The final Do not Kang me with a good time <laughs> is Richard Kind. The yes. final Kang at the oh! end is Richard Kind. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. We are just giving the best character actors, and now I want to see all of this. Yes. <laughs> so that that scene is from loki season two victor timely this is the version that creates the human torch in comics Mm -hmm. and i was watching youtube videos about this already and i forgot about that actually i don't even know if i ever knew this but there is a reference to the human torch in captain america one avenger that's Mm -hmm. right so (laughs) yeah and i this time period looked like it could have been like the 30s or 40s like the Mm -hmm. way way everybody's dressed Mm -hmm. so Maybe, maybe this is how we get that like retconned origin story version of Human Torch in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't want the human, the Fantastic Four set in the past, but I'm okay with it if they do something <laughs> like also, this. But also, like the Human Torch lineage does not jo- start with Johnny Storm, so it's like you can still get into like the OG Human Torch and get into all of that canon, and then somehow have Johnny be like the next evolution of that. Like that could still work. I'm just curious with like the Victor Timely of it all, how far they're going to go with that in Loki, because I feel like there's there's so much in the comics of him being able to like he he just he stays in that town for so long that he becomes Victor Timely Jr. and Victor Timely the third like he just takes over this town for such a long stretch of time i would love to see like of that show but i'm very curious how much we're gonna ultimately get if he doesn't meet kingo what are we doing <laughs> if kamal's not in it what are we doing yes. yeah <laughs> like what the these versions of kang also like they're they they, they make money these guys mm-hmm. then become mayors they become kang enterprises be interesting to see the financials of uh Victor Timely, maybe he bought Avengers Tower. <laughs> I would go. love it. I would love it. If this all led to that, BD, it was all worth it. 
Yeah. It's all worth it from that moment. I do want to say it was good to see Mobius and Loki getting along again because Loki had some heavy lifting to do based on uh-huh. that final scene in Loki season one. Mm-hmm. Mobius that he ran into had no idea who he was. It was another variant. So seems like there's less trouble in paradise for our two favorite uh, time travelers. <laughs> there's, right. some, there's, there's a, I, I don't know if it's Eric and them, Eric Voss and them over at New Rockstars, but they say that maybe it is the same one and that it just reset. That's what I thought. Oh. That's what I thought. And mm. that's even more kind of heartbreaking in a way. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, I do know you, but you're not, you don't know yet. Well, it's that's how I MJ. Just, that's yeah. how they, they're just going to oh. learn all this stuff together. I know you. Prove it. Wow. <laughs> you <laughs> love jet skis. Wow. <laughs> you're telling the truth. <laughs> 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 All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick one minute break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Modoc and a lot of the Easter eggs and the characters uh, of Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We'll see you in a moment. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to Phase Zero. This is the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania spoiler review bonus episode. Let's talk about MODOK. Let's just do this. Let's do it. <laughs> MODOK, they did it. The MCU, I respect the hell out of MODOK coming to the MCU. I thought he looked ridiculous. <laughs> and you, you you can't spell ridiculous without being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> thank Full you, circle. thank you, thank you. I'll be here for the next 30 minutes. Uh <laughs> What you? I thought. I mean, the story of Modok. Fine. The the presentation of Modok was was insanity to me. I I'm, I'm I don't know how I'm going to feel fully about Modok. I feel like I almost need a second viewing to like fully crystallize my my feelings because I was one of like twelve people, me and Adam Barnard, who loved the Modok show on Hulu. And so like part of me mourns not getting proper Modok. I feel like we could still get him eventually down the line, given like the way that Darren became Modok in this instance. But like they got the presentation they got the weird physicality they got his just energy while still making it darren at the same time i it's bizarre it's uncanny i know people have been talking about it on twitter already and thinking he looks like joe rogan but it's like in (laughs) practice it is like monumentally better than i had expected it would be it's just given the circumstances it's just so weird yeah, uh, for me, it's the bag on the chip head again, uh, where it's like they, <laughs> they were just really trying and it felt so forced. Like, I was nice to see Corey back. I really like him as an actor, but it was like they, they were like, how can we get him? And this is it. And let's try. And there were a couple moments of that I enjoyed of his like fun. This was funny. Um, I, I really laughed hard when he was like, I'm an Avenger. That was really funny. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. But for me, all I could think about and, and I know like, oh, Jamie's bring up Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, <laughs> Uh, Agents of Shield, they were originally given permission to use Modok, and they they had, were going to have Modok in the show. And then Marvel Studios were like, actually, never mind. We want to sa- save that for ourselves. And I'm like, really? We lost Modok and Agents of Shield for this? Like, I know <laughs> that Marissa Tantron and Jed Whedon would have done awesome, weird, funny things with Modok, and like, and it would have been better than this. And I'm not just saying that because. I'm me. I really, truly, <laughs> deeply believe that. Um, it wasn't like the most offensive thing I've ever seen in terms of like, you know, so, like it had its moments, but I cannot wait for Tony to see this movie because he is going to oh, hate Modoc so much. <laughs> He's going to hate the whole movie. He's not going to like it, but yeah. I know that, but it's, but, um, but I'm actually, but I'm kind of, I think that he's going to dislike it so much that it's going to make me like it more. And I want that. I want to <laughs> like it. I, I prefer to be a beacon of positivity instead of negativity. Uh, but yeah, Modoc was just like, I don't know. They, they just were trying too hard. Yellow jacket had the cool, in my, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating and I'm forgetting something, but, Yellow Jacket had like the coolest villain outfit in the MCU. Like he looked so badass. Darren Cross becoming Yellow Jacket made sense in the first Ant Man movie, uh, and in this one, certainly as Modok said, didn't know who he was anymore. 
uh, which it, it's fine. Like Modok is a silly character inherently. It, it's it is what it is. But I just thought the kind of CGI of Corey Stoll's face kind of <laughs> distorted into like a shorter frame, as if you were watching like a widescreen video on a full screen TV, but the other way around. I just thought it looked crazy. The story mode was fine. Like I didn't really care that they changed it. Like I was fine with that. But overall, I just think the visual visually it was like this is cartoonish in a live action film. Granted, I don't know a huge percentage of this film was animated anyway. But <laughs> it's fine. It's I, I don't have a huge problem with Modog. I don't really care either way. I kind of just don't really care in a lot of senses right now, which probably is really disappointing to <laughs> our audience. But I just wanted to like this movie more, and ultimately came away from it like well. Okay, cool that we have a much better picture of where we're going now. But overall, didn't really feel anything watching this film. Aaron, what do you think of Modoc? Uh, I I'm not Jenna and I'm not Adam, so I'm not <laughs> driving the bus for the Hulu show. But the Hulu show is good. And as soon as the words Modoc came out of everybody's mouth when you guys were at uh, Comic Con, I instantly was like, oh man, because all you've heard that all phase four is people complaining about the freaking CGI on every single thing, and I'm like, oh god. It, unstoppable force, immovable <laughs> object. Either it's going to be amazing or yeah. we're going to hear about this more than anything else in this movie. And I think it's probably going to be the second part. Um, <laughs> I'm now hoping that they cast Faggot Floop as uh, Modoc as Secret Wars to <laughs> give me uh, some sort of penance for that. Thank you. The four people at home who laughed at my spot kids. <laughs> 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 I will also say off of Jamie's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing, like there were rumors when New Warriors was supposed to happen that like Keith David was going to play the villain on the show and he was ultimately going to turn into MODOK. So like I, I do absolutely agree with Jamie. I mourn like the other MODOKs we could have gotten, even like Patton Oswalt, Oswalt as live action MODOK would have been really fun too. But like given how we got here, I'm okay with it. It just still is extremely weird at the same time. Yeah, strange. it's yeah. Uh, did nobody else catch Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader vibes from the the the? Like I thought it was Me so much that it was intentional. Except they made a booty cheeks joke by showing his his hind parts when they pulled him up out of there. But when he came in and was like, "Darren Cross is dead. There is only Modok." I was like, "Anakin Skywalker is dead. There's only Darth Vader." And when he came out of that little thing with the thing, they made him into Modok. I thought for sure camera was going to turn around and Modoc was going to be sitting there like no <laughs> i'm i'm just so really mad. resentful so i what i st- i so need quantum media and star wars to stop being in the same breath yeah. <laughs> i just need it to end did like, nobody else catch that? i did not because as we were saying it before the show started i was so distracted by the the butt that like nothing else in that scene mattered to me and like i tweeted about this when i initially saw my screening mcu twitter is going to hate that it's going to be the new jump scare and i like welcome that with open arms it's just going to be stupidly hilarious but that was all i could see nothing else like resonated with me <laughs> this is man oh, phase zero yeeks talk <laughs> i i did think that janet van dyne was probably the best character in the movie yeah. oh yeah yes. that said oh, the biggest yeah. missed opportunity in this movie was was the the relation the possible relationship strain which sounded very interesting between janet and hank based on the fact that she had some sort of history with krylar and he had some sort of history with somebody named linda and i was like oh this is going to be interesting this is gonna be interesting to see how they handle this this is going to create some drama and i'm going to be into it and then it never got revisited. Krylar presumably is still alive because if you watch the little thing that the, I don't know if there's a name for that little creature that uh, they tried to Homelander uh, for everybody at the table, um, but <laughs> only only Krylar was the deep on that one. But uh, if you watch when they're flying away, that thing that when they made it big, the little giant octopus thing throws Krylar to the side. So I'm assuming Bill Murray could come back to the MCU in the future. Who knows if he will. Uh, but I don't remember what I was saying. Um, what, what, Jenna, I saw Jenna's hand go up. I was like, Jenna's got something to say. No, I had this like later on for Easter eggs, but I'll just bring it up now because I, I liked the way that that whole exchange was of like, yeah, we slept with other people while I thought you were dead in the quantum realm. Like, I, I liked the frankness of that. I'm glad we didn't just like turn that into a soap opera drama. Um, I have a theory about who that Linda is because one of Marvel's first characters who like would have been contemporaries with Hank around the time that he really started being Ant-Man was Linda Carter, Night Nurse. And she's like friends with Christine Palmer. She's this doctor like and her ebbing and flowing in and out of the Marvel universe is this really interesting thing. So like I'm convinced until I'm told otherwise that that was Linda Carter and that they had a little thing because I just want her to exist in this universe. That's fun. I like that. Yeah. 
That might never even come into play, but we can say it's canon until it. I just want, like, I just want Jeff Loveness or somebody just to say, like, yeah, that was totally intentional. Because, like, there are enough comic Easter eggs in here. Like, Jeff Loveness did his homework. I know people are going to think he didn't, given whatever they actually think about this movie itself. But, like, there are more comic references in here than I expected. So, I apparently am. That might have been intentional there because they were both, like, around in the 60s around the same time. So, I'm just going to hold on to that with your life. There's so there is a ton of comic stuff in this one, which in which for me is in no way any parts of the problems with the film. I just thought that like uh, the second act for me is where the film peaked. When we got into the Kang stuff, I, it started rolling, and I was like, "This is awesome." But then in the third act, Kang just stayed up in his tower and watched everybody fight, and I was like, "This man has fought the Avengers before. Why isn't he down there wiping the floor with everybody, like just cl- just washing this whole fight away?" Uh, and he just waited until he was vulnerable and got taken out by ants. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll ultimately it was like, okay, uh, I, I feel like I've kind of seen versions of this many times already. Uh, and then ultimately it was just fine. It was just fine. Uh, um, all right, I, I will say they didn't burn. I'm glad they didn't save that for freaking Kang Dynasty. Cause if you've read mm-hmm. Kang Dynasty, that's the majority of his plan during that event. Spoilers for yeah. a comic that's around when I was in overalls, <laughs> but like he just sits up in that tower hit with him and Scarlet Centurion, which is not the Scarlet Centurion. We just met. It's his son. Uh, and says, we'll handle it, we'll handle it. And then when things get really bad, then he goes down there and breaks everybody's spirits and then runs away like a Power Rangers villain. So (laughs) since we've already broken the seal on that, hopefully that's not how it goes in Kang Dynasty and he gets his hands dirty. All the muscles ain't for nothing. Do you think that that, that multiversal engine core is supposed to be a play on the Forever Crystal or the Heart of Forever? I I suppose so, because that's the only thing that fits in there. And yeah. I don't know why they didn't want to give it a name. I guess that maybe we don't know what's going to happen, so we don't give it a name. But that's what it seemed like it was. You and uh, you yeah. and freaking Liam, pat on the back, for both of y'all. Because yeah. I'm like, yeah, that seems like where we're headed. And you can't destroy it or whatever. You're going to yeah. make it giant or whatever. So there could be another plot down the line to get that crystal back and do yeah. something with it. In the Avengers Forever comic, Amortis gets it. And then he's able to basically rewrite history in any of the timelines. And he's claiming that if Rick Jones survives, uh, that it's kind of a mystery throughout the comic, but he's after Rick Jones claiming that he needs to kill Rick Jones to, to sign the Avengers, like a version of the Avengers, which is like two different versions of Hank Pym. Uh, I think Janet Songbird, um, a couple others are in Old there. Captain America. In Captain there. America, right after was it yeah. Secret Empire? He gets plucked out of the timeline. Mm-hmm. He just saw how bad the government is. Uh, there's a, there's a bunch of Avengers. They all go to different timelines. They all hunt, you know, Kang and Immortus and all this stuff. And Immortus ultimately gets that Forever Crystal, and he's able to rewrite history in different timelines as he pleases, which makes it the most valuable item ever. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that comes back into play. I thought it might be revealed as that forever crystal in this movie but they just uh as they had it labeled outside of the premiere that i think it was just officially called the multiversal engine i probably have a video of that on my phone or a photo on my phone to double check I'll, if i'm wrong I'll, I'll let everybody know on twitter or something um but i was running through some easter eggs here cassie craves citrus just like scott did in civil war because yeah. I, I caught that and I was like, that's adorable. Because remember when he turns into giant man and then comes back, he's like, does anyone have any orange slices? So like that was just a nice little nod to that. I thought that was very cute. And then when I was talking about like comic Easter eggs that they didn't have to throw in, but they did. The code to open the bridge is 18147. And Avengers 181 was Scott's first appearance. And Marvel Premiere 47 was his first appearance as Ant-Man. So that was just a nice little. I I had my notebook and it's like anytime there's ever a number, I'm like, I'm going to write this yes. down and look this up later. <laughs> and so I was like so vindicated that that actually was something. Um, but yeah, I know BD, you have other notes in there, but those were the ones that I had noticed. Oh yeah, I got I got a bunch of stuff here. I actually lost my notebook that I had with me for the first viewing, so somebody somewhere might have all the all my little <laughs> secrets. But but uh, I, these are the notes that I jotted down on my phone on my second watch. Um, first of all, why was everybody on Scott's on Scott's butt about do making a difference when the man literally saved the world? Like, what was the people Let at him, that table have a break? Like the man, like what's wrong with him selling books? I, 
I agree with you, but I also think like there's a through line across the whole movie about like empathy and apathy, which I think is really interesting. Like they tackle it more profoundly than I would have expected them to of like right down to Cassie when we first meet her being like, I was helping protesters in a park and like homeless people and stuff like that. And I think it's this, there's this whole through line of like, yeah, you helped save a person once, but are you continuing to actively save the people around you and make the world a better place around you? And I feel like that is kind of Scott's arc across the movie and it's Janet's to a certain extent too. So I... I, I get why they were mean to him because it's like you did this one thing and you haven't really done anything since then. But I don't know. I, I would also like to joke around about it really wasn't Scott. It was that rat. Shout out to the rat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got you, buddy. You yeah, helped I out thought a lot. for sure they were going to make a joke about that rat. The rat I, I was waiting, yeah, waiting for a rat for joke. <laughs> I, 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 that whole scene, it was like, all right, Sully Sullenberger, you saved the plane. Now go join the Air Force. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> What what do you want? <laughs> I I have a it's not a criticism it's more, it's an observation that I was uh, that I would like to discuss with all of you. Um, Let's hear it. And it's how the trailer made it seem like a big plot point of this movie was going to be Scott teaming up with Kang so that he could like go back in time and get more time with Cassie. Yeah. I literally I went to the bathroom at one point and I and after the movie I asked my friend that I saw it with I was like did did I miss like a whole thing? And she was like, no, that didn't happen. And I was like, and you know, I don't, I don't mind that really, because I think I would have, I don't know if I would have liked that or whatever, but it is weird that the trailer really made it seem like that was going to be a big, important part of what, like Nicole had a whole thing about being excited for that. And that was just didn't happen. And I think that's odd. What, what do you guys think about that? To that point, I, I, I agree with you. I remember and this is so Iron Man 3 is a movie that has grown on me quite a bit since it released. When it released, I was furious about the Mandarin twist. I was so disappointed. As, as a comic fan, as somebody who followed the marketing, the Mandarin twist did not work for me to the point that, like, before I did this job, I was like angry tweeting at Drew Pierce who wrote the movie. Like, I was, I was <laughs> oh. that person. I, well, not angry, but I sent one. I remember saying something. He said, like, what should, uh, what should, if we made a drink, if we, if we made an alcoholic drink with, uh, a drink called the Mandarin Twist. What would what would be in it? And I said you'd put it on the the alcoholic menu, but serve it virgin. And I was like, well, that, that kind of sets pay. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember thinking how mad I was about the Mandarin Twist. And I'm sorry, Drew Pierce, if you're listening. Like, I was rude. I shouldn't have made a joke like that. I'm sorry. And you, you ended up making a pretty good movie. Now that I've removed myself and my expectations. So is this a, ca a case where expectations are getting in the way? I don't know. Mar it is uh, it, it, The marketing does kind of set an expectation and I fully bought into like, wow, okay, they're trying to get a thing here because Scott was in jail. Scott was gone for five years. Scott has missed birthdays. That's a huge through line in both of the first two Ant-Man movies and then his reunion with Cassie in Endgame. It never was really even discussed in the movie. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's not like it's not good or bad. I, I just I just think it's odd that that's what I thought this like, I, again, like it's not like I was like, oh, I was really looking forward to that. I just think it was a weird mislead um, because it's not like it was something I was excited for in the first place. It was just, a, I think, a weird thing to, to make us think was going to ha oh, happen. Yeah. In the, in the discussion with Janet after as they're trying to build that thing out in the out in the desert and get his chair back so he get his freaking suit back yeah I, I got the feeling that it's just like there's such an unknowable level of power that i don't have to time travel you back we're just gonna go boop and drop you and be like all right jelly bean there you go and that's it and that's all that happens right uh i i don't know if it's just me thinking about it like him being way too powerful and that yeah. that's hard for people to follow. Because I said that to my mom. I'm like, there are going to be parts of this that you're going to be like, what the heck is <laughs> happening? Because it's kind of like, it's a lot. You know, metaphysics and all that weird crap. But yeah, like, I, I thought that maybe he would show her and they'd stunt cast the little girl mm. so he could see her again. And then he'd rip it away because that also seems very villainous, right? But that never happened. You're right. It didn't happen like that. We did get... Um a probability storm scene, which was mm -hmm. something referenced in a previous Ant-Man movie. That was what was happening in all the trailers when there was a million Ant-Mans and some of them were just getting shredded. I just had no idea what was going on in that scene. <laughs> like, I didn't I understand why awesome. the Ant-Mans... What? I thought it looked awesome. Like, since he was technically co-created by Jack Kirby, I, this felt like one of the movies that, like, most understood the Jack Kirby aesthetic of, like, just very weird out of this world kind of visuals. I liked that scene like on that principle alone, but it 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 is kind of hard to follow at points. 
Well, it, it was just like I didn't really understand like the kind of stakes and the concept. I visually it was awesome. I understood that like yes, this is this is uh, every version of you that could possibly come up here based on every decision you could make. So it's basically infinite versions of you with if you step left, if you step right, if you step back, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I just didn't understand like wh- why they like what was happening when they went giant and then arms were falling down. Well, and stuff like that. I didn't really understand what was killing them. I guess touching the the multiversal engine core in its volatile state of expansion, maybe. Uh, I'm not I, sure. Our viewers will be happy to know Brandon has not been hanging out with Aaron Rodgers, so he doesn't know about any darkness fast or anything else that would tear him asunder. I think that it's supposed to be a visual representation of ego death because they start freaking mm. out and not knowing if they're the real one or not. And then when they don't have any sense of self anymore, they just go to the like they just read Reed Richards themselves, which is kind of rough. I do will say one of my favorite things in the movie is when he turns up as a freaking Baskin Robbins guy. I know. That I is love that. hysterical <laughs> to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I do like that part of the one. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> of course, there's one of them in the apron, you know? Yo, Aaron, you referenced this earlier, uh, the jelly bean. But Kang showed up when he met Hope for the first time. He called her jelly bean. Just and I thought that was pretty sinister. I thought like Kang had Kang was just great. Kang knew Kang knew his enemies and he knew how to strike nerves. And Jellybean is what uh, Janet calls hope. And you see that in that first scene and the flashback scenes in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And uh, when he showed up and said, hey, hello, Jellybean, I was like, Oof. Kang does not care about your feelings. That's for sure. There's Did you so- care about the other characters in this? The non-Ant family characters? No. I liked them, but like they, they served the purpose that they were supposed to serve. I wanted a little bit more of William Jackson Harper. Like I, I felt like we could have had a lot more with him, but I don't know. They were there. David Desmalchian was Veb, the holes guy. Yeah. So David Desmalchian <laughs> got to come back. David Desmalchian, he's best human alive. Yeah. I yes. don't care about the characters from other universes, <laughs> which is a huge problem. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge problem. Like, yes, there were characters like I didn't want them to die or get killed. Like in the Avatar, the way of water, someone comes and takes refuge and all of a sudden the big and bad guy from the sky comes in to come take you out. That's why I thought this movie was starting out. Not exactly the same, but it close enough for the comparison. Thank you. But uh, I just don't like we went to Earth 838. The Illuminati got the Illuminati got wiped. I don't really care about Earth 838. If, if you tell me an incursion is going to destroy Universe 838, I just don't, I'm not invested at all. Like, oh no, save mine. <laughs> okay, save mine. I don't really care about the other ones. So the only way I think to make me care about the multiverse stuff in these other universes right now, possibly, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I'm not, this is why I'm not a writer on these things, is to bring in these other universes that we've already seen. Add some stakes like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man or the X-Men universe or things we've already spent time in, or build another universe, which I thought was going to happen in Doctor Strange, and didn't. And in Spider-Man No Way Home, they all came to ours. And in this one, we got to the Quantum Realm. It was cool to see the Quantum Realm. It didn't feel... I guess maybe it was just so different from our own that it was hard to really feel like it's livable. And that, like, I don't know. I don't know. But I just haven't cared about other universes yet, and that is going to be a huge problem for me because this is the multiverse saga. So if I'm Janet, I'll tell you right now, when that opportunity came up, bro, go do your thing. I'm going back to my family. I've been here for 30 years. This is my only ticket out after years and years of being trapped here, looking at these weird, like, slug llamas. I'm going back. Did you just think, what were they? Those were like goats, but with slug heads. You saw yeah. them in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> and then they, they duplicate and stuff. But, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I, like as an audience member, I'm like, Janet, just go home. I don't care about the other timelines. But see, I think that that's the like empathy and apathy argument of like, if you, if you're able to just like put your own personal needs over the needs of like these people that you will never meet, but it like ensures their safety or their destruction. Like that is kind of the hero sacrifice. That is the whole like crux of the movie. And I, I, I sure. like that they went there, but it is this thing of like, as a viewer, you're only like invested in it and aware of the emotional context of it, like very much on the periphery. I do hope I, I agree with you. I hope by the time we get to secret wars and Kang dynasty, like the multiverse feels more lived in. So we can actually like, 
feel something when it gets destroyed because that's what made it work in the comics is that like there were all of these alternate universes and then now they're gone that's why like with all of its faults the cw's crisis crossover still had all of the other dc things that they were able to use to be able to show like this is a fully fledged multiverse of shows that you recognize and here they are going away so i am curious if we're going to get to that point but like i don't know at this point jamie you want to go or do you want me to go uh, you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll put you your busy. Jamie is like, I just want to be done with it, which is like a lot of people I feel like. Okay. So our Steve Rogers would absolutely stand up for the other universes, though. Yeah. Like our Sam Wilson would absolutely stand up for the other universes, though. Like I, I get that. And also Peter, Richard, clip him saying he does not care. We did this in the pre-meeting. When Iron Man from Universe 838 shows up, Richard, okay. you're my friend. Have the camera trained on Brandon Davis. Please do. I want to see him no-sell Robert Downey Jr. I don't <laughs> believe you. I do make, not believe uh, you. That's what I'm saying, though. Make me care. You make will. Care. You I'm will. You. That's I, I am. Surely would make me care. I love Ooh. Iron Man as a character. I love Tony Stark. I'd love to see a variant of Tony Stark. Absolutely. Right now, I just like the only significant characters from other universes have been the two Spider-Bands who came to ours and the Illuminati that got wiped. They're all dead. Well, no, one person in their chair. Wait, what? The one person in the chair, the one chair at the end. There is empty. Remember? Oh, well. So somebody's there to get to be damn sure they avenge what Yeah, happened. and Iron Man is about to save the 838. <laughs> and it's going to be Tom Cruise. Oh, God. Please, oh, Jesus. We're on that again. been such a horrible two years. <laughs> we're on that two again. years have been I'm not saying it. that I'll never care about the multiverse. I'm saying right now, I'm just not invested in other universes and timelines. And that's a problem. Yeah. Which this movie really like Loki season finale started it. Spider Man No Way Home continued it. Doctor Strange was I I hoped would continue it more. Quantumania did it pretty well with Kang. Really introduced concepts in a big way that worked. I just need to care about the other universes before there's even a concern for me that the main universe filled with characters I care about should be willing to put itself in harm's way to save all these other universes with just other versions of themselves. So I have a question then. Would we feel badly if one of these movies on the slate right now is based on another Earth and then at the end they do the Dallas ending and then tell us it's the other Earth and it's about to collide with ours? Would that would that work? Do it. That, do I, it. I, I desperately great. want that to happen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I, 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 I was wondering. I, I would like to say, because I'm ready, Aaron. I'm ready to speak. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> in my opinion, Please. I, I've always really loved multiverse stories. Uh, and I think it's because I was like really into those episodes. Like, like there's an episode of Buffy where like Cordelia wishes like this whole other universe and that kind of stuff. I've always loved my favorite season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the framework season, which isn't totally a, a multiverse, but it's a similar concept. It's it's kind of the same idea. And I, I really like seeing characters that you love in a completely different way and light but i do agree that like i would like to go go there more and it, it is sad that the only time we've seen them they all died i didn't that didn't bother me as much but i but i understand that feeling but i would i would love a movie because as we talked about another multiverse is still canon i would love a movie that's like in its own place and whether or not even the twist of it is i can know going into it i would be really into that i think that there's so much rich cool stuff to to be done with the multiverse and i still have faith that we're that that more goodness is coming and that we are going to get more of it because I do agree we haven't gotten quite enough yet but I'm not sick of it like you are because I I have I've I have faith that cool stuff is going to come. I don't think I'm I maybe I'm making myself sound sick of it. I don't think I'm sick of it. I'm just like I'm just anxious. I'm eager to care about the multiverse. Why and we're we're almost halfway through the multiverse saga. And I'm just not that invested in any other universes. And if they all got wiped away and only the main one was left, I'd be fine. So I have, you know, so I love the idea of a movie set in another universe. DC just did it with Joker and the Batman and they were great. And, you know, there's already some, uh, oh, don't you give Joker shade. Don't you give that Joker shade. You know it's my least favorite movie ever made. I've never been I'm not very vocal about that. But, uh, I mean, I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. This this to me, my all right, let's let's go around. We're gonna say our favorite thing and our least favorite thing about this movie to wrap this up. My favorite thing 
I'm going to say two. I love Jonathan Majors as Kang. I thought he was brilliant. And I love that we do – I do feel like we have a trajectory for the MCU. I feel like we know where we're going. And going into this, that was what I really wanted. Um, and and I feel like we got it. The Council of Kangs is out there. The Avengers are in big trouble. If, if those Kangs decide you guys are getting too close to the multiverse, we got to stop you, they're going to be in trouble. So it's going to be really interesting to see – how who bands together to stop them how they band together and how they take down all these kangs which are quite a formidable force Uh, my least favorite thing was just my lack of emotional connection to the movie i just never really uh, felt super super invested in any outcome and that kind of disappointed me i really wanted to be invested but that said maybe that's a good thing because the next marvel movie is about to take my heart out step on it make me watch and then put that on a loop as kang said he would because it's guardians of the galaxy 3 and i think that one's going to be an emotional roller coaster but yeah i wanted to connect more with this emotionally and i just didn't really feel much during it jamie you're up top one thing you okay, like great. One thing you um, didn't. my favorite thing about it michelle pfeiffer i mean come on that was you she's know, great uh, after i really when i came out of ant-man and the wasp i was like so bummed that she wasn't in it that much and so this really filled that void and i was really really happy um and my least favorite thing about it is honestly i don't think i have ever come out of an mcu movie feeling this nothing uh about like feeling so wow that did nothing for me it was for like even like i i the last time i left a marvel movie i didn't really like was first avenger and that was so long ago i mean my goodness i i just I, I, that movie's just i've never been a huge fan of that movie and we'll, we can talk about that when we get into our phase one rankings and everything um but that's the oh, last wow. time i remember walking out of a marvel movie being like eh that didn't do much for me. And like, like, and that's a, that was a long time ago. So uh, uh, that's, that's how I feel, but I want to stress again, I'm seeing it again on Monday when I'm really hoping that on Wednesday's episode of phase zero, I come on, I come on and being like, you guys, I was wrong. I, I've, I feel differently now. Um, that is my hope. My hope is that I will eventually feel shame for how much uh, uh, negativity I spread in this episode, but we will see. Jenna. Oh, wait, Aaron. Uh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, let Aaron sorry, go. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, since, that's all right. Since we already did. Ah, look. Ah, <laughs> too many universes. Uh, my favorite thing, <laughs> it was probably Cassie Lang because the Young Avengers agenda will not be stopped. I know what you're trying to do. I do not believe you. You need more people. There's no way that's not happening. Sorry. There's, there's too much smoke. Um, my least Where are these kids' parents? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the quantum realm, in this case, she has like the most attentive parent out of all of them, doesn't yeah. she? Except for Kamala. But like, yeah, um, I think the the like the the thing I like the least probably I, I don't think it's Modok, but like just I, that we've had a couple different movies with the uh, airbrush side of a van aesthetic, and is as much of a fan of that and velvet blacklight pictures as I am. We could get a little bit more clean and streamlined on the next one. That'd be cool. I hope, which the topic we're going to talk about on Wednesday, that the fact that they're slowing down some of their releases, they'll be able to put a little bit more uh, time into maybe building sets um, or even when they do. I know Marvel's always going to be tons of CGI. I've never really had problems with CGI until recently when I felt like it kind of did detract a bit. Uh, but Jenna, go ahead. Um, I, I also love the like wa- not wanting less of the airbrush fan aesthetic when like the next two movies are cosmic. So like I feel like we're only going to get so much more of that. Um, so get but ready I didn't for that. Feel that while watching Guardians of the Galaxy, I didn't feel like exactly. I didn't like the backdrop. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, uh, that'll be really interesting to see. Because also with the Marvels, I know Jamie saw footage. Jamie went to D twenty three, but it's like I'm curious what <laughs> kind of wait, cosmic. Hold on. Hold on. I need. We need our audience. Did you guys know that? Jenny, that's really good that you brought that up. Actually, thank you because I had a note here. And I just looked over. Did you guys know that Jay, uh, Jamie Jirak, Phase Zero co- Phase Zero co-host Jamie Jirak, ComicBook.com writer, Jamie Jirak went to D23. I'm not going next year. I'll tell you that right now. Is there even one this year? I thought it was every other year. I don't know. Um, what I liked and didn't like, like I said, you I like. <laughs> we love you, Jamie. Um, I liked that this movie got the original energy of what Ant-Man was in the comics. I like that it got weird. I like that it was more than just a heist movie as much as I love the first Ant-Man. I, I like just the comic bookiness of it. And I like the fact that it's taking these big swings and not being something that is going to please everybody. I, in terms of like the thing, least favorite thing, I guess Krylar, like you could cut Krylar from this movie entirely and I would feel exactly the same. So I... I don't know. He he just was kind of there. So like, I guess if I had to pick a least favorite thing, I guess it would be that. 
you know, it was he was part of that whole Wizard of Oz build up to the character we all knew was coming throughout the whole first act. Him, he, the Conqueror, Kang. But yeah, uh, overall, seems like we have some very varying opinions on this movie, and I think that's kind of fun. It makes for a good conversation. Aaron and I seem to be somewhere in the middle. Jenna as much it seems to be the highest, and Jamie seems to be the lowest. I'm excited to see what Jamie thinks after her second watch, uh, and I cannot wait to see what everybody on uh, on social media thinks of this one. Uh, hopefully, uh, I don't regret feeling that anticipation and excitement. Uh, I, I love talking to people about this. And we actually have a video on the Phase Zero channel where we just caught people walking out of the theater, ask their uh, reactions. And there are a lot of, I mean, it's Marvel fans. It's, oh, it's, you know, the night before it releases. So maybe there's some excitement there, but people seemed to really enjoy it that I talked to. Uh, we, and we did not edit anything out of this video. It's just every single person we talked to who gave us permission to use this video of them is in this video. And their reactions are pretty uncut, except for some uhs and ums, like just to speed up the video. But uh, it's, 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 I'm, I'm interested to see what everyone else thinks as well. Hopefully, it's a civil conversation and we can uh, just be happy we're in phase five, more or less, uh, and not be mean to each other for opinions. Thank you to the phase zero community that is very rarely mean to each other. Our community is great, and I feel like they do a really good job of that. So thank you to everybody for that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be a fun weekend. If you want to talk more, hit us up on Twitter at Summit Cornet, at Jamie Cinematics, at Hey It's Channel In, at Brandon Davis BD, and uh, subscribe to Phase Zero on YouTube. Share us with your friends, leave a five star review, and head over to comicbook.com/slash Marvel for more updates. See you there, everybody. <laughs>